don't have everybody on board with saying, okay, we want to build one deep geological disposal site. We want to build five sites. We want geographical equity. We want, you know, to manage defense waste differently from civilian waste. There's all these kind of questions related to this that we have a country, as a country haven't come together on. Hello, and welcome to Nuclear Waste, The Whole Story, a series designed to explore perspectives of nuclear waste disposal. About half a million metric tons of high-level nuclear waste is temporarily stored at hundreds of sites worldwide. No country has established a permanent home for spent commercial fuel. In the U.S. alone, one in three people live within 50 miles of a storage site. That fact may be surprising, but it's not for lack of technical solutions. Experts worldwide agree that a deep geological repository would be the best final resting place for this hazardous substance. So what's the delay, you ask? The answers are complex and controversial. In this series, we're interviewing experts and stakeholders representing pieces of this complicated puzzle to give you a clearer picture of nuclear waste, the whole story. In this episode, Deep Isolation Communications Manager Carrie Hulak interviews Thomas Webler, an expert in the social science of collaborative and democratic ways of making decisions that affect the environment. Tom Webler is also an expert in community consent and how it relates to nuclear waste disposal. At Deep Isolation, we believe that listening is one of the most important elements of a successful nuclear waste disposal program. A core company value is to seek and listen to different perspectives on the matter of nuclear waste, nuclear energy, and disposal solutions. The opinions expressed in this series are those of the participants and do not represent Deep Isolation's position. Hello, I'm Carrie Hulak, host of Nuclear Waste, The Whole Story. Today I'm talking to Tom Webler, an expert in the social science of collaborative and democratic ways of making decisions that affect the environment. Tom Webler co-authored papers and did analysis for the Blue Ribbon Commission on America's Nuclear Future. He offers suggestions on how to effectively engage stakeholders on how the U.S. government can do a better job informing members of the public when making decisions about the storage and management of spent nuclear fuel and high-level waste. Tom also provided input to the Department of Energy analyzing consent related to siting of nuclear waste disposal facilities. Hello, Tom, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Carrie. I'm glad to be here. All right. First off, explain to us the fundamental elements of what consent-based decision-making means as it applies to nuclear waste disposal. Well, that's certainly diving right into it. Um, <laughs> I think the first thing we need to keep in mind that uh, the kind of problem we're talking about here is what we call a collective action problem, right? It's like, what should we do? We got this problem we want to solve however you want to define it, but we have to somehow decide what to do and we have to decide that together, right? So it's a collective action problem. It doesn't mean we need 100% consensus. It doesn't mean that everybody has to agree on everything, but you know, we have to have enough of idea of what, how to move ahead with this. And 
a lot of people need to be involved in making these this, this kind of decision or the decisions around um, how to manage spent nuclear fuel and high level waste, right? And there's a lot of different decisions that have to be made. If we're talking about locating a facility in a certain community, that's usually what we mean by siting. So when we talk about consent-based siting, usually thinking mostly about that community, right? And what they need to, what they need to signify in order to, to allow a project developer to move ahead with actually implementing a technical solution. And there's a lot of a lot of um, associated questions that have to do with that, right? Um, like who should be involved in giving consent? That's a big question. Should it be the community that has the political jurisdiction in which the project cement is actually poured in? What about the transportation communities along the way? If the waste has to move through other communities to get there, what kind of consent should they give? Where should they, you know, be in the process? What about neighboring communities? What about the source communities where the spent nuclear, nuclear fuel is currently located, right? So there's a lot of questions about these. Um, okay, that makes sense, so. that makes sense. So one of the key pieces you wrote for Obama's Blue Ribbon Commission, the BRC for short, was a report that made recommendations for how to develop public engagement around nuclear waste disposal. So I think if we dive into that, that will help give a nice example of collective action as you just discussed. So can you summarize those recommendations that you made to the BRC? Um, and then I'm sure uh, in doing that, you looked at some past failures in stakeholder engagement. So let us know how that informed your recommendations for how we can do better in the future. Right. So. My work um, for the BRC was done in collusion with my colleague Seth Tuller and Jean Rosa. Um, so we kind of all communicated together about this. And we also, with a bunch of other social scientists, had a piece in Science Magazine called Nuclear Waste Knowledge Waste about this issue. So there's a lot of people have been thinking about it, just not just me, I build on a lot of work from other people. Um, we advised them that there needs to be some sort of national consensus on the definition of the problem and the preferred technical solution. So we've seen this in a lot of countries have said, we want deep geological disposal, right? This is the solution that's been preferred. But we haven't had in this country a kind of national conversation about, about this. And, um, seems to me that this is one of the biggest problems we face right now is that we don't have everybody on board with saying okay we want to build one deep geological disposal site we want to build five sites we want geographical equity we want you know to manage defense waste differently from civilian waste there's all these kind of questions related to this that we have a country as a country haven't come together on yeah, and without that, it's really hard to envision how to move forward. And we were really hoping that the BRC would have done that, um, but it didn't really recommend how to move forward with that. 
Would you say that's how the BRC kind of missed it, missed its mark, so to speak? Um, it should have gone more further, been laid out a more specific plan for next steps? Yes, I think it is. And we've seen, you know, recent legislation proposed by Dianne Feinstein, for example, they define consent just as um, support by the local elected leaders, right? This is, and this is not um, thinking very deeply about consent. I mean, that's kind of where you would go with your first answer, right? What does consent mean? Oh, the, uh, the county commissioners or the city council voted for it. That's, that's what they mean by consent. But we have to think, realize that that's probably not sufficient for a problem of this magnitude, not just magnitude in terms of potential risk and hazard, but also longevity, um, the commitment that a community is making to host this facility for the basically as long as we can imagine human civilization continuing. So the elected officials we've got now were probably elected because of whatever, a school board mission or a bond question or a new highway development, something like that. They weren't elected to make decisions about permanent high level deep high-level nuclear waste disposal facilities. So I think we need to think a little more deeply about who can give consent than just saying it's the elected officials. So that's one place the BRC, I think, could have taken it further. Um, another thing about the BRC that we talked about was trust, that we tried to emphasize the failures of previous efforts by the Department of Energy and um, especially focusing on nuclear issues, really the DOE, including their weapons production programs, you know, the nuclear weapons production sites and the cleanups on those sites. And um, of course, the attempts to cite, you know, under the Nuclear Waste Policy Act. So there have been a lot of efforts by the Department of Energy over time and many of these have been, let's say, underperforming, right? They have often ended up um, decreasing public trust in the Department of Energy and in the federal government at large. They've created a lot of stakeholder opposition. They've created a tremendous amount of locally driven, activist-oriented, highly educated activists in local sites who now basically don't trust anything that the DOE or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission say, right? They're constantly on their backs. And it's created an environment of extreme distrust. And um, that's a very hard to get out of this, something we call the asymmetry of trust. Trust is very easy to lose and it's very hard to gain. And uh, so the experiences that we've seen in the past while DOE has done some good things, especially with the, um, uh, the site-specific advisory boards at the nuclear waste production sites, we've seen some, we saw some nice progress there and how they interacted with those boards more effectively over time and did gain community trust, but that took years and years and years. Um, and I'm sorry to say that a lot of the history has not been that positive. 
That is, is tough, um, especially for companies like Deep Isolation and who, who want to do something about this problem. Um, I mean, what advice would you give to, um, to us and to others in the communities who do want to resolve this issue? I mean, what, what is the path forward um, to, to get past this lack of trust? Well, moving forward into uh, the most important things we can do. Well, trust basically is composed of several characteristics. One is caring. You've got to demonstrate that you truly care about the other parties with whom you're interacting. So the most important thing there is obviously to demonstrate the safety case. This is utterly important that there be safety criteria that are never violated, right? that are transparent and clearly are not violated. Um, so caring is number one. Number two is commitment, which means a commitment to a shared definition of the problem, a commitment to the same values set that we're gonna operate while we're trying to solve this problem, which is like mutual effect, um, mutual respect, I mean, and um, uh, baking, making decisions on technical evidence, not on emotions or ideologically driven decisions and so on. The third thing is um, caring competence, which means doing what you do well, right? And fourth is prediction, predictability. These are the four characteristics of trust. Predictability means that you follow through with what you say you would do, uh, that the parties can anticipate your next move because you've been consistent. It doesn't mean that you're stuck into one mode of thinking and acting and you never learn or change. It does mean you can learn and change, but that your actions are predictable in the sense that what another party would consider a reasonable, reasonable thing to do. So these four things make up trust. We don't have that today, we're lacking that. So anybody who wants to move ahead with this, whether it's DI, deep isolation, or it's some other Department of Energy or government independent institution is going to have to specifically understand that it needs to make progress on all those things. And it needs to do so in an environment that's highly distrust, full of distrust. And so um, we have this asymmetry of trust. It's easy to lose. It's hard to get. The most important thing that uh, an institution could do to earn trust is to give the community the power and authority to close down, turn off an operation, a facility uh, with no penalties or negative consequences. But having a strong corporate culture of integrity and honesty would be vital. Well, and you touched on that earlier about the lack of national consensus on a solution. Um, deep isolation's perspective is there is scientific consensus on the deep geological burial, but like you say, that has to be embraced by the nation, the government, and all the other stakeholders. Um, what, what have you seen or what would you recommend in trying to reach that consensus on the technological solution to get there? I mean, that's, it seems like a big step. Yeah. Well, this was the first thing that Canada did, right? They had what's called the Seaborne Panel and 
Seaborn was a guy who ran the panel and they went around Canada and held public meetings to talk about, here's our problem. We got all this stuff we've made. We don't want to keep it above ground anymore. What should we do with it? Shoot it into the sun, whatever, you know, um, put it in the bottom of the ocean. You know, they go through all the possible solutions and they talked about it. They brought in experts and they listened to people and people kind of sat around and said, you know what, this is what makes most sense for Canada, a deep geological depository. And I think, you know, that's what we recommended to the BRC that the United States should have a similar discussion like that. I think if you give everyone a chance to have their say, and then you come to a reasonable decision together, the kind of, it's, it allows a lot of groups to say, we're moving on. Okay, we talked about that. We decided we're not going back there. So here we are eight years after the BRC report was issued and still we're still struggling with this. Uh, can you give us any perspective and bring us up to speed why there hasn't been any implementation? It sounds like, you know, with the Canadian example, there's good, you know, a good case right there for at least getting the discussion started about the solution. So um, what's going on there? Thanks. The Department of Energy actually set up a consensus-based siting program in the Office of Nuclear Waste, right? And they were developing this. I did a little work for them in order to try to think about how we start to put these ideas into practice. They started holding community-based meetings to hear what the public thought about consent-based siting. Um, and I thought they were doing a pretty good job of that, going out, listening. They weren't saying, hey, we've sat in our offices in Washington and we've decided this is consent-based siting, right? They said, we've got some ideas. We're going to come out, listen to the public, listen to stakeholders, do a lot of listening. That's what the Seaborne panel in Canada did. I thought they were on the right track with that. But then, of course, we had an election in 2016. Then, like so many things, we retrograded you know, back to old solutions and they closed down that whole office. All those web pages are gone. All the learning that happened on consent-based siting has been either erased or mothballed somewhere in the archives of the Department of Energy. So, um, Boy. again, what are we doing? What are we agreeing to do as a country? So given all this that we've discussed today, is it hard to feel optimistic about the future or, you know, what, what do you, uh, what work are you doing right now with this? What, what do you advise as the next best steps for us as a nation or for us deep isolation in private industry? Um, uh, what, what do you think moving forward? Look, one of the big problems is you got to make sure that there's not going to be political gamesmanship. You know, we had, you know, there was some reasonable, plan under the Nuclear Waste Policy Act, which just all went awry after the politicians got involved in it, right? They were supposed to propose several deep repository sites. And in different parts of the country, there was this idea of equity somehow that they'd be, you know, wasn't just going to be one site at Yucca Mountain, right? There were going to be several of them. And then all that got changed when Congress got involved. So, you know, you need a promise that Congress is not going to get involved. And, you know, personally, I think Congress needs to set up, tell the DOE to do something, set up an independent body that's isolated 
from any congressional or presidential executive branch manipulations, which operates completely independently, even more independently than the Fed. But nowadays, we don't even see any independence at the Fed or any of these places, right? Everything's kind of been controlled now by the executive branch. So ideally, you'd want to set up some sort of independent body, and then that body would have to move forward with establishing national consensus and kind of a plan for action. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. And I want to thank everyone who tuned in to this episode of Nuclear Waste, The Whole Story. Thanks, Carrie. Nice talking to you. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll share this podcast with others. And feel free to send any comments or suggestions to podcast at deepisolation.com. You can visit deepisolation.com to learn more. At Deep Isolation, we believe that listening is one of the most important elements of a successful nuclear waste disposal program. A core company value is to seek and listen to different perspectives on the matter of nuclear waste, nuclear energy, and disposal solutions. The opinions expressed in this series are those of the participants and do not represent Deep Isolation's position.